Um, babe, you can just, you, you're more than welcome to enter the kitchen and try and take the dog out of the room. Well, somebody left the kitchen, like, somebody left the kitchen, baby gate open. Is he bloody? Is he, is he alright? What? Is he, is he, is he good? Yeah, he just literally got up and went, oh, it's open. It just came straight in. <laughs> you guys are making a podcast. For this. So welcome to the podcast nobody asked for with me, Ian Harris. And me, Graham Jones. And this week we are talking about songs we would adapt into films. Graham, do you care to explain what the fuck that means? Um, it means songs, musical entities, sometimes okay. accompanied by videos, that we would like to see in feature length version on the cinema screen. I, I, like, I like that. That was... Uh... What I should have expected from asking you to explain what that meant, really, <laughs> is what I would have done. There's not a lot else you can say. Really. <laughs> not really, no. So, yeah, some some songs lend themselves to it more than others. Yep. We'll see what happens. Um, are you aware of any that have been? Um, no, I, I mean, without ruining my recommendation, which <laughs> I'm sure you know what it already is, there's definitely some albums that i would question whether the album came before the movie or vice versa okay yep now now i am very aware what your choice is going to be i think i can answer that as well i'm fairly sure Mm. film first okay but we will which is surprising we we will we will come to that (laughs) so i couldn't find any films that were based on songs yeah but i did find a fair few films that were named after songs right P.S. I Love You okay. was a song, which I didn't realise. Yeah. Sweet Home Alabama is a movie. Blinded by the Light, Pretty in Pink, Last Christmas, yeah. which is a film that I haven't seen, but I thought I'd figured the twist out from watching trailers, so I wikipedia the plot. I was right. Boys Don't Cry. Yeah, okay. Uh, Days and Confused. Peggy Sue Got Married, the sequel to the hit song Peggy Sue. Yeah, I did not realise that I had a sequel. I do like Gwyn. Have you heard... Um, Coheed and Cambria, who will be mentioned later, <laughs> did a sequel to Jesse's Girl. Uh, yes, I think you've mentioned this before. Well, I, I haven't just, heard it. It turns out <laughs> Jesse's Girl's insane. I think we've spoken about this before as well, but Esme Patterson, she did a whole album of songs from the point of view of famous women in oh. songs. Billie Jean is like the main one that I know. Did she also do Hey There Delilah? May well have done. I'd have to double check, but it's is a there... really cool album. Because so, someone's done a, a reply to Hey There Delilah and it was fucking spot on. Yeah, I mean, she's great. What's the album called? It's going to annoy me now. Uh, Woman to Woman, it's called. It goes over Alison from um, Elvis Costello. You have Jolene, um, so the song's called uh-huh. Never Chase a Man. Tumbleweed, which is um, someone called Towns Van Zant. A song called Loretta. The Glow, which is Caroline from Caroline No from the Beach Boys. Yeah. Bluebird, which is a is uh, from the point of view of Eleanor Rigby. Interesting. Louder than the sound, which is uh, a reply to the band of Angeline. Doesn't seem to be listed here, but she does the Billy Billy Jean. It's called What What Do You Call a Woman? Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, really clever and interesting album. Interesting. I'll have to I'll have to track that down. But yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of films named after songs. Knives Out mm. is named uh, apparently influenced by a Radiohead song. Okay. Um, well, 
the, the song title is. I don't think Radiohead had like a murder mystery song, but I wouldn't put it past them. Radiohead would have like a choose your own adventure murder mystery album. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much. I don't know if I like Radiohead or not. I, I like some of their stuff. I was never that big into them. My only real exposure to them for a long time was the scene of the priest getting depressed on the bus listening to Radiohead from Father Ted. <laughs> and that was it for a while. And then I ended up watching, like, there's a, there is a 30-minute video on YouTube talking through this song called Videotape. Yeah. Um, and how basically there was a live recording of it or a live filming of it. And it's a very simple piano line for the majority of the song. And he... Who's, who's the singer of radio? Tom York. Uh, Tom York. He fucks it up. Right. And it was like, well, how could he fuck up something so simple? And then there was a half-hour video explaining how secretly complicated the song is. Right, okay. Which went far over my head. I just find it fascinating, or found it fascinating. And then I started reading up more things about them. Like, they've released, like, secret double albums, which okay. are designed to fit together, but they never publicized they're supposed to fit together. Right. So it's just... Basically, as soon as I realized how meta they were, <laughs> I started developing a lot more time for Radiohead. It does feel a little bit like, I don't know, if I, I, I get it, but at the same time, it's like, just tell people. <laughs> like, it's cool that you've done it across two different albums. Just let people know. I, I love stuff like that. Like, someone, uh, there was a Led Zeppelin album, I think, which had, like, a black and white color, uh, cover, mm. and somebody spilt water over it, and it turned into color. And it just turned out it was a secret thing that they'd never bothered telling anyone about. And who's going to pour water over vinyl record cover? Yeah. Just to see. Um, but yeah, that's, that's that. Really? Yeah. yeah haven't, haven't researched. Radiohead aren't the kind of band I can talk about without explicitly researching Radiohead. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something about OK Computer. That's, yeah. that's about yeah, as much as I Don't be a paranoid Android. Yeah. And others. that must be is that that must be named after um, Hitchhiker's Guide, surely, which was would have been a book when they did it rather than a film, or maybe the TV series. I'm fairly sure it was a radio series first. I think it went radio series book. No, 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 no. I'm fairly sure it was. Douglas Adams wrote the book. No, Douglas Adams also wrote the radio series. I don't know if it's one of those weird things like the. The Pokemon game came before everything else. Yeah, the well, yeah, there definitely wasn't a there definitely wasn't a Game Boy game of it. <laughs> of Hitchhikers. Yeah. I mean, I would play the shit out of that. To be fair, are we just rushing to see who can subtly yeah. Google it first? Yeah. No, it was um, it was a radio broadcast on number subcuts. It on uh, Radio Four. Interesting. When did the novel come out? Seventy nine. Yeah, it came at seventy eight. Hmm. The first book was adapted from the first four radio episodes. Brackets. The primary phase. Close brackets. There's a lot of them, isn't there? Yeah, I think I've read... Because one of them he learns how to fly. Yeah. Which is you fall over and forget to hit the floor. Yeah. Which is classic. <laughs> I, they're the kind of books I remember enjoying. I, I remember the first one. Mm. I remember most of the second one. And I know I've read the rest, but I couldn't tell you anything about them. Right. Because they're... They just kind of blended into the background a little bit. But they're still really fun. Yeah. But my point being that Paranoid Android, I'm assuming, is a reference to yeah. Marvin. I'm assuming it would be. Or like C-3PO on a bad day. <laughs> uh, and on, on that note, fuck it. 
Mm. We, we can't. We we we've got ourselves stuck in a Radiohead cul-de-sac, which I think we need to evacuate from. So let's just go straight into your movie recommendation. Nobody asked for. Um, my movie recommendation. Nobody asked for. It couldn't really be anything else, and you preempted it with your graphics this week. It <laughs> is, of course, uh, Purple Rain because it is a film that shouldn't exist, but the music is fantastic. And our first ever. Our first ever number, number one. Number one. Yeah. I don't know if I can, in good faith, recommend watching. Um, oh, uh, I would. I Purple would, Rain. I, but I guess I wouldn't recommend watching Purple Rain by yourself. No, it's, it's an experience that has to be shared. It's squarely full, and we've spoken about this in depth um, previously. But it it squarely falls into the good bad movie conversation, and in that context, absolutely watch it. It's it's baffling that it got made. I mean, there's no. <laughs> There's no there's no redeeming features from like Prince was already again we've spoken about this before but Prince was already doing pretty well for himself at this point and agreed to make this film where he plays a character who is objectively awful and it didn't seem to hurt his who's objectively awful but also objectively him. Well, I'll I'll let you take that one up with the lawyers. (laughs) Yeah. Or do you mean as in like it's clear because he's it's the Uh, is he the kid. yeah, like he's like playing himself. Yeah, without playing himself. Yeah, like yeah. I just yeah. It, it's... Anyone that sees it would be like, oh, Prince is playing Prince, and well, Prince has agreed to play Prince as like this terrible, terrible human being. Yeah. So it's like, and and you know, and then Morris Day gets someone to throw a woman into a bin. Yeah. Because the eighties. <laughs> it's a hell of a. <laughs> Obviously, given the first episode of this podcast was soundtracks that are better than the film. Yeah. And Purple Rain was number one it's a great fucking soundtrack oh the yeah it's one of the best albums of all time and i think yeah it kind of if there was an album that maybe should be made into a film it probably was purple rain they probably just should have done it a bit better yeah i think that's that there's ways to do it that don't revolve so heavily around prince and domestic violence (laughs) yeah and which is basically every other way of doing it apart from what they did in the movie yeah how, how would how would you remake Purple Rain. Um, like, do, do we just go like completely other direction and animate it? Animated could be very cool, just because yeah. of the whole stylized stuff with um, with Prince, which also reminds me of the Animaniacs Prince joke, which is one of the best <laughs> yeah. ever. We'll post it somewhere. It, I think it works better written down when you read yeah. through it rather yeah. than yeah. Otherwise, it, it. it's over explaining it. Yeah, yeah. I I think animation could be good. Um, I also think. Um, Maybe we just base it around the Ravens winning the Super Bowl. That works. But I mean, also, <laughs> what's what's good for us is now there's a bit of time between us and the album. Yeah. I think it's, you'd prefer it because obviously you don't like Fresh Prince. Very good. Thank you. I, I, I like that we've now got to the point where we don't laugh. We just say, <laughs> that was nice. I like that. that was very funny. Yeah. Because you don't like Will Smith. Um. Okay, so if you if you don't want to uh, watch Prince, mm. what else? Like, say so you just you just don't you know you aren't feeling purple isn't your color. Yeah. Maybe um, you don't like the idea of Jerome, the man whose instrument in the band I believe is holding a mirror to the front man's face, throwing women into bins. Yeah. Um, are there any other films you could recommend 
our listener. Yeah, well, maybe if you don't want a mirror held up to the front man, maybe you want to hold a mirror up to yourself and really judge whether or not you are on the side of the good guys or the bad guys, we should go and delve into the wonderful world of Midsummer, a film which truly makes you question your morals and um, whose side you're really on. No one gets thrown in a bin. Uh, someone does potentially get thrown in a pie and a bear. Um, I do like the idea <laughs> of Midsummer being a Prince album. Yeah. Oh, we got um, Bowie in the room. Yep. What's up, bud? Um, How you doing? <laughs> I mean, he just wants to be in the same conversation as Prince, you know. Oh, yeah. Being Bowie. See what he did there. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, if we want to talk about uh, music in films as well, um, Midsummer has got some fantastic uh, songs, such as uh, A Ritual and Transfigured Time. Um, yeah, sounds like a Prince song. <laughs> the House That Harger Built. Um, and then, obviously... The uh, podcast favorite, a language of sex, which is just um, that is it a is, Prince album. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, and a language of sex is, uh, I think we've referred to it previously as the wailing sex song. The wailing sex song. Um, but it's it often it's on our show playlist, and it's one of the there's there's a few shong, shongs there's a f- there's a few songs on that playlist that completely catch you off guard from time to time. There's the Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared song. Yep. There's the Wailing Sex song. There's uh, Rick Astley. Um. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of like kids' TV shows on there as well. Yeah, also Skeletal Beast Man. That's weird. Oh, fuck me, I'd forgotten that song existed. <laughs> I used to know all the words. A lot of people used to know all the words to that. Is it CKY? No, I can't remember who it is. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah. Or is it, it's the CKY adjacent? That, probably. Yeah, that probably makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, so if, if Purple Rain isn't your thing, then Midsummer it is. Nice. Uh, and then on that note, after people have watched Prince and then A Bear, mm. um, I think it's time for us to go into our uh, songs we would adapt into films. It right? is, and I think you're up first. I'm going to start with a joke. And even if you know the answer... I just need you to dramatically pause, and then I will, I will say the punchline. Are we in agreement? Okay. What does my first choice have in common with Spider-Man Far From Home? Don't know, Ian. The villain of both is Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't going to laugh because it's not that funny, but I did because it's fucking hysterical. So I, I'm talking about the recent internet sensation, All Too Well, brackets, 10-minute version close brackets, brackets, Taylor's version, close brackets. There's a lot of brackets. First of all, we will, we will explain the context, because I'm assuming you aren't too savvy with the legal shithousery, I think is the only word, <laughs> around the whole Taylor Swift stuff. No, I am not, I'm not a, a Swifty. Oh, I'm late to the party, but she's fucking great. So, in June 2019, not quite I have a history degree territory. Uh, Scooter Braun, who sounds like a dick. He sounds like a dick or a product. Or um, uh, uh, the villain in Back to the Future 4. Yes. He bought Big Machine Records. And Big Machine Records owned the rights to the master recordings of Taylor Swift's albums that were released between 2006 and 2017. Right. So Taylor had been trying to... It was kind of a common practice pre-digital music mm. um, that they would own the master stuff because it would then allow them to basically print the music 
it doesn't happen so much anymore. But she'd basically been trying to buy these back off, back off of them. But they were apparently crazy unreasonable and everything was a bit shit. And then they got bought. Something like 80% of Big Machine's revenue came from Taylor Swift's music. Interesting. So, this is one of these, um, there's been a few of these, right? Because the whole, um, I know the Kesha thing was also with like a lot of allegations around sexual assault and stuff. But like there was a similar thing. So, no, with, like, so it's exactly the same thing. Right. My understanding anyway is the Kesha thing's exactly the same. Yeah. Apart from instead of it just being a business thing, there was also allegations of sexual abuse in, in it. Yeah. So Taylor Swift, as the songwriter, still owns the publishing rights to the songs. Right. So she didn't own the actual pre-existing master recordings, but she owned the rights to the songs themselves, which then meant she could, if she wanted to, re-release them all or re-record them. Okay. But who would re-record albums worth of material from 2006 to 2017? Turns out, Taylor Swift. <laughs> so she's re-releasing all of these old albums as Taylor's versions. Yeah. And it, it's really interesting because like there's there's kind of like a little bit of like a director's cut feel to it. Because so the album we're talking about is so it was Red, which was released like ten years ago now. Yeah. And obviously she has grown and matured as a person and a songwriter since then. There's kind of bits that have been added to the songs, bit of the been redone. Um, the music isn't exactly the same. It's, it's kind of you know it's developed uh, quite a bit. Yeah, and it, it's it's a really interesting exercise. I, I think there's a couple of bands now thinking of doing similar, just to get around the same issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also a lot of uh, artists who are relatively early in their careers who I think have looked at this. And of now, it's like, yeah, we want we want to own everything mm-hmm. rather than give anything away. I guess it's kind of similar to how like uh, James Cameron didn't own the Terminator and stuff like that. I don't think Sam Raimi had Evil Dead for a while. Like you take the cash advance, but give up all the artistic license. Yeah, uh, there's been a few instances where people do it the other way around, right? And we'll do a uh, like a movie really cheap, but take get an agreement that they take X percentage yeah. and of and it takes off and they do really well so it's an interesting that in the inverse happens sometimes i guess the well i mean the 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 famous one i'm assuming would be george lucas yeah uh, i won't i you don't have to pay you can pay me minimum uh, but i want merchandising rights and the what if is matt damon was offered a percentage of profits of avatar yeah which would have made him possibly the biggest payday for an actor ever and he turned it down i can respect that because avatar yeah that's fair so the song I'm talking about is All Too Well. So All Too Well was originally released as a five-minute song, and it was generally regarded as Taylor Swift's most underrated, if not her best song. Uh, Rolling Stone had it at 69 at their top 500 songs list. Uh, it featured in a shitload of like critics' best song of the decade list. The Taylor's version I'm talking about, so she released the re-record of the original, yeah, but then she also released. Apparently, it was originally supposed to be a. It was ten to fifteen minutes long, the right. song when she wrote it, and she had to get another writer in to cut it down. So she released the ten-minute version of the song on this new album, which is complete with extra lyrics. And it's basically one of the best songs ever written. It's really 
it doesn't feel like a 10 minute song. Like, I've listened to this a fair amount of times the last week and I'm just scratching the surface compared to surface compared to other people. Like the amount of Instagram stories of people like sitting in their car in a driveway listening to the song is fucking untenable. So All Too Well is about the disappearance of a scarf and her relationship and subsequent breakup with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, they dated in 2010 um, when she was 20 and he was 29. Um, and it includes a load of references to like a trip upstate they had, a Thanksgiving dinner they had at Maggie Gyllenhaal's house and how he didn't come to her 21st birthday. And the scarf has become weirdly an internet sensation. Have you heard about Taylor Swift's scarf? No. So uh, now, now I've mentioned it, it'll pop up everywhere because that's how life works. <laughs> so the lyrics from the song, uh, I'm not going to go through all, all the lyrics of a 10 minute long song on a fucking podcast, that'd be weird. Um, bonus episode coming next week. <laughs> so and I left my scarf there at your sister's house and you've still got it on your drawer even now. Then at the end of the song, now you mail back my things and I walk home alone, but you keep my old scarf from that very first week because it reminds you of innocence and it smells like me. And the internet went fucking mental. So whenever it hit autumn, people would start questioning where Taylor Swift's fucking scarf was. Uh, people, someone asked Maggie Gyllenhaal in an interview if she still had the scarf and she had no idea what they were talking about and they had to explain it was in this song. Uh, she's not sure. It might still be there. But you'll have people like posting pictures of like Taylor Swift in a scarf and then Jake Gyllenhaal in a similar scarf. It's like, he still has the fucking scarf. People, people need... People need to get out. That is pathetic. <laughs> it's just... It's, <laughs> that is pathetic. Who gives a shit? Genuinely, who gives a shit? If you care about this scarf, go take a look at yourself, people. Go take a look at yourself. So it, it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's just one of those things that the internet has latched onto. They now, they now sell, obviously. There is a merchandise all-too-well scarf. Which, to be fair looks looks quite comfy but also there's the whole um you know there's a lot of readings of the song where the scarf isn't actually a scarf it's uh more uh, a metaphor for kind of her innocence as a 20 year old in a relationship kind of thing you know mm. works on many levels it's both a do they sell that as merch as well can you buy the metaphorical scarf oh uh, yeah you can it's a lot cheaper <laughs> no no postage no. for the one that sounds like something Cards Against Humanity would sell, doesn't it? A metaphorical scarf. Yeah, because yeah. they sold... I know one Black Friday, they uh, priced everything at 20% more expensive. Yeah. Uh, they've sold literal bullshit. Yeah, I remember that one. And I'm fairly sure they sold empty boxes. Yeah, I think so. Classic. Classic. Um, but then they also put a load of money towards buying land across where the Mexican-American border would wall would be. Yeah, so that they, they couldn't, couldn't buy build it. it. Build it, yeah. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's a it's just a really nice song. I think it speaks to anybody who's ever gone through like a a breakup or anything like that. There's also a lyric. So uh, there's I mean obviously there's loads of lyrics because it's a song. So <laughs> you kept me like a secret, but I kept you like an oath. Um, and the, arguably the best lyric ever written. And I was never good at telling jokes, but the punchline goes. I'll get older, but your lovers stay my age. <laughs> so Jake Gyllenhaal and his 25-year-old girlfriend haven't commented on the re-release of this song. Um, that feels like it should be more directed, isn't it? Um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, whose girlfriends keep getting younger. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's keep getting younger. Jake Gyllenhaal's have definitely kind of plateaued around like the mid-20s <laughs> level from what we can see. But I think that's just... Uh, 
Like, she's never publicly said it's him. But yeah. it's obvious it's him. She just and... kept calling him Donny. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful song. It's very well done. It doesn't feel like 10 minutes. And it comes complete with a meme about a scarf. And that's really what you want from, from music. A film has already technically been made about it. Right. So the music video has hit all the criteria for counting as a short film in the eyes of the Oscars. Okay. Uh, so it was kind of that criteria includes it has to be a certain length, it has to be shot on film, and it has to have been given a release in one of a couple of cities. Yeah. So it was premiered in, I think, like a New York cinema. So it's hit all the criteria it needs to count as a short film. Yeah. That means there is a timeline where a song about Jake Gyllenhaal wins an Oscar before Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> and that could be one of the funniest things that has ever happened. And part, part of me hopes that's where we're going. I'm not saying it would make up for the last couple of years of shit, but it is one of those things that it, it would be a drunken fact everybody always brings up. Yeah. I think it just works. So for me, the film would be, it'd be just the story of a breakup and everything that means. So basically a feature length version of the short film uh, to the point where we will take the people from the short film and put them in the main film. So you have Sadie Sink, who was in Stranger Things and the Fear Street films. And oh, yeah. Dylan O'Brien, who I think was in the Maze Runner stuff. So he's the one who like really seriously injured himself making the Maze Runner films. Right. He's playing, uh, not playing Jake Gyllenhaal, obviously, but is definitely playing Jake Gyllenhaal. And I, I like a good breakup film. I think they're very interesting. Like you, you, there's, there's a lot of uh, films that come at it from kind of a different angle than what I would imagine this to be. So I'm, I'm thinking less Midsummer or... 500 days of summer and more marriage story so just kind of a drama looking at a relationship deteriorating and you know i think it's uh i think it just works i mean obviously it works it's a 10 minute long song well you say that there's a lot of 10 minute long songs that don't need to be 10 minutes long i'm looking at you tall oh true this um so this feels like it should be 10 minutes long yeah um, I've listened to both versions, and it's definitely well. Like I said, it 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 doesn't feel ten minutes. Yeah, and and uh, it kind of it's building and building as the song goes, and I I dig that shit. So yeah, all all too well. Brackets ten minute version. Brackets Taylor's version. I think it would make an incredible film. Also, it means it gives it another chance of winning an Oscar before Jake Gyllenhaal does. And that's kind of what I've set as my ultimate goal in life now. Getting Taylor Swift. <laughs> Getting Taylor Swift an Oscar before Jake Gyllenhaal gets an Oscar. I because... like Jake Gyllenhaal, so I'm, I'm not on this bandwagon. Well, I mean, you can, you can like someone, but still acknowledge they treated someone like shit. Uh, we don't know that he treated her like shit, though. I mean, listen to the song, man. That's one side of the story. Yeah, it is one side of the story, yeah. but it's Taylor Swift's side of the story. So, Taylor Swift is not um, a fountain of absolutely correct. Absolute correctness. No, but what I'm no. saying is, he could have given the fucking scarf back. Well, you've you've even said the scarf may not be a scarf, so he could give the the the, the metaphor back. The, yeah, <laughs> and that's not how metaphors work. Um, so the scarf may be a metaphor, in which case, you know, 
I just feel like he could have handled himself better. Yeah, but you don't know what happened. Well, yeah, but you do. It's, it's, <laughs> no, no, it's, you've got half. You've got one person's it's all, story. It's all, it's all in the song. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal could have released like a freestyle rap of, of his side of it, but he didn't. <laughs> no, maybe because he doesn't need to. Well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't need to no. because it's all already been said by by Taylor and all too well. Brackets ten minute version. Brackets Taylor's version. My first choice. So it was probably the the song that I had in mind when thinking about this subject and it is a song which i think would translate very much to like a coming of age movie i think it has three distinct acts so the song in question is 1969's a boy named sue by johnny cash oh one of my choices from 1969 <laughs> <laughs> um so the sort of act so that the whole thing the, was the it a johnny cash song so it's Recorded by Johnny Cash, it was written by someone else, and okay. we'll come on to that. But um, yeah, the the only recording of it was was Johnny Cash, yeah. so it's only a live recording as well. Oh, wow. There's no like studio version. But the the sort of narrative of the um, song is that um, this kid he has a uh, is from the point of view of the boy named Sue. He has an alcoholic father who leaves him and his mum when he's young. That would be the sort of opening act. Then you have him growing up and being bullied and beaten up and learning to fight because he's named Sue and everyone takes the mick out of him. And, and you know, that's, that's um, what happens there. And then the third act would be him seeking out his father and kind of like that final showdown reconciliation that they have in the song. I think it's a really nice arc. It, you know, sits into to three um, distinct acts. Great, great punchline at the end of the song as well. Which one? Uh... If I have a son, I'm going to call him like Jeff, George, any damn thing other than Sue. Yeah. Um, which actually, all of the names that he references there are the members of his band. Oh, really? Yeah. Didn't realize that until reading about it. Um, See, we, we left. I'm, I'm teaching you about Jake Gyllenhaal's scarf. <laughs> You're teaching me about Johnny Cash's band from the 60s. Uh, Do these bands have a name? I don't believe so, no. That's rude. Um, may well have done. I've <laughs> well, just not done it. That's <laughs> rude. Oh. <laughs> I'm a big fan of it, like a Johnny Cash and the, uh, like Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, or yeah. Frank Turner and the Sleeping Souls, yeah, or someone or, else or called Marley Frank and the Wailers, yeah, um, Z Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, so Corey Taylor and the Slipknots. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a loudish band, isn't it? Corey Taylor and the Stone Sours, isn't it? But yeah, so the the book uh, the song itself was originally written by someone called Shel Silverstein, and so basically. Um, there's an interesting story about it so back in nashville at the time you would go over basically people these artists would get together and play music and they used to do something called a guitar pull where you basically grabbed a guitar play one of your new songs and then someone else next to you would grab it and then do the same and they kind of just go around and yeah and basically you have people there like johnny cash Joni mitchell etc um so it was like a 60s desert sessions basically yeah so um shell silverstein sung his song boy named sue and june carter thought it was a really good idea that johnny cash did it because he thought she thought he'd be able to do it quite well and so they were then headed to san quentin to record the live at san quentin album and she basically said oh why don't you do that shell song why don't you bring that with you so they brought the lyrics along so when he's singing it on the recording that's the first time he's sung it live oh wow um and he's also reading the lyrics off of the lyric sheet <laughs> because he it was so new to him 
but yeah it's it obviously it went on to be a, a massive hit um they didn't kind of it wasn't overly produced it is just that live version of it interestingly i know we spoke earlier about a, a sequel to a song so there is also a sequel to boy named sue um so shell silverstein also wrote the father of a boy named sue which is <laughs> the same story but from the father's point of view you so see you could either kind of incorporate that into this movie where you've kind of got both sides of the coin or it's a sequel waiting to happen i think it probably all fits in inside one feature length film though and uh so shell silverstein was um inspired to write the song because he had a friend called gene shepherd and gene was a guy and got bullied a lot because he had a feminine sounded name and that's where the boy named sue kind of was inspiration came from so yeah it's 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 really interesting and like you say it, it wasn't him that wrote it it's quite interesting that so a lot of johnny cash's like top top songs like her like what is covering personal jesus and stuff aren't actually johnny cash songs yeah i do like i i could see it as like a uh i i, I think it would need to be made in like the 50s because i feel like this this would speak to john wayne yeah because wasn't his name marion Oh really? <laughs> yeah, I'm fairly sure John Wayne's name was Marion, which is also a fact. Where uh, if it's kept in the podcast, it means it's true. Excellent. Yeah, the only bit really that became uh, was like Johnny Cash's stamp on the song is when he says, um, "Find that son of the bitch that named me Sue," and I think the original lyrics from Silverstein were, "That heartless hound who named me Sue." So it's a little bit more PG. Johnny Cash's version is definitely better. Yeah. But also in like in looking into this, it turns out this Shell Silverstein guy was um, quite a big deal. So I'd never heard of him before, but he was um, an American writer, poet, cartoonist, songwriter, and playwright, best known for cartoons, songs, and children's books. His books have been translated into more than thirty languages and have sold more than twenty million copies. Oh wow! And he has also received two Grammy awards, one for a boy named Sue, as well as nominations for a Golden Globe and an Academy Award. Oh, what for? Uh, I'm not sure. I was trying to look through his Wikipedia to figure out what he'd yeah. written, but I couldn't quite piece it together. I'd love um, if it was something weird. Yeah. Like a Steven Seagal movie or something. <laughs> There's he... obviously a boy named Sue and then uh, Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's. I just think the the song itself really, as I said, it's got a really good structure. And it's a, it's a, it's a fun kind of interesting sort of coming of age story. And... Yeah, it just the, the song itself just kind of lends itself to it. And as I say, it was kind of the, the thought process behind this idea kind yeah. of came from uh, Boy Named Sue. It works. So uh, two follow-up questions. Yes. Uh, number one, uh, if you were a boy named something, yeah. what name would you want? Um, well, as in a, a female name. Yeah. Um, uh, Gladys. Gladys. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to go Guinevere. Okay. Uh, a boy named Guinevere is a lot harder song to write. But, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, second question, slightly, slightly, slightly more serious: uh, Who would you have in the film? In the film of Boy Named in, Sue. In a Boy Named Sue, the motion picture. Um, oh, I don't know. I think um, probably the kid from It that's in everything at the moment. Finn Wolfenstein. Uh, Wolf Hard. There we go. I, I'm not going to lie, I knew it wasn't Wolfenstein. <laughs> right. So yeah, I think he'd be good, well-placed to kind of be the like younger version. And then, um, I don't know, I guess Timothy Chalamet's and everything, isn't he? So he could be somebody. The, uh... Somebody has already played the older Finn whatever, because he was in It. 
Oh, it was... Um, was it McAvoy? Or was it Bill Hader? Bill Hader. And so, yeah, Bill, Bill Hader fits quite well. So, yeah, maybe we just keep... The, the, we'll keep Bill Hader can be the older, older version of Sue. Nice. Yeah. Such a good song. My mum's called Sue. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be... Because that, that, that's going to be how the... So we'll have a boy named Sue. Yeah. The father of a boy named Sue. Yeah. The mother of a boy named Sue. Bride... Of a boy named Sue? Yeah. And my mum's called Sue. Yeah. Death of a boy named Sue? Yeah. Boy named Sue Road Warrior? <laughs> just writes itself. Get the legal pad out, Graham. We've got to jot down these ideas. Excellent. So this section sent me off on some absolutely insane tangents, one of which completely derailed both my lunch break today and the research for this section entirely. So at some point during this part, I'm just going to stop talking about it, and we're talking about something else. Capiche? Cool. So, uh, Where the Wild Roses Grow by mm. Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue is a murder ballad. And that's where I went off on my first tangent. So, <laughs> well, what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words into my research, and I got sent down uh, a different stream because I didn't realize murder ballads were actually a recognized thing. Like, of course they are. But I'd never thought about it before. Yeah. So the album, <laughs> which is funny, given that Where the Wild Roses Grow is from an album called Murder Ballads. That was released <laughs> in 1996. But I thought it was just something he'd come up with as like, uh, oh, it's all songs about murder. I didn't realize it was an established like tradition, nearly. Yeah. So- I mean, in- it's interesting. My, uh, my next choice we'll come on to is... Uh is down as the uh the genre is horrorcore so nice yeah yeah so like i said i didn't realize there was an actual genre apparently it has its origins in pre-modern scandinavian scottish and english ballads and they just make them a lot gorier and about murder so some examples of other murder ballads um cocaine blues which johnny cash did a cover of Mm -hmm. i hung my head which johnny cash did a cover of (laughs) uh long black veil which johnny cash did a cover of um Send Me to the Electric Chair, mm. uh, The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll, and I Don't Like Mondays. Nice. So I Don't Like Mondays is a murder ballad, which is a nice little pub quiz trivia for everybody to take home. Where the Wild Roses Grow is, it's an incredible song, and it's a, basically a duet between a murderer whose parts are sung by Nick Cave mm. and his victim whose parts are sung by Kylie Minogue. So... Eliza Day is courted by a man who basically plies her with flowers to get her to go to basically go with him to see where all of these wild roses are growing. Yeah. And then he murders her with a rock by a river. Um, the film, as I see it, would probably include a third character who would be a bitter detective who is near retirement, obviously, and he's the one trying to... Because the, the way I see it is Where the Wild Roses Grow is a film. The song is kind of like the first half of it. Mm-hmm. And then it's trying to, you know, it obviously he's a serial killer. It's trying to stop him doing it again. So basically this film is this song on repeat with a little bit at the end where uh, I'm assuming we stop him. Uh, so because it's a crime thriller, obviously the detective needs to be played by a Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll let you pick. Are we going? Are we going to go Stellan? Are we going to go Alexander? Are we going to go Bill? Are we going to go for Gustav? I think just um, just because we've got 
some it trivia in the previous uh it casting in the previous yeah. uh choice i think we'll carry on and we'll go bill all right we'll go bill so less retirement but still bitter yeah so I, I like it everyone else we will keep australian as a homage to nick cave and carly minogue so i'm saying the so eliza day so the wild rose mm. with the emily browning okay so i really like emily browning and i think she's hugely underrated and she is going to be murdered by Joel Legitim, who, again, I think is hugely underrated and is an incredible actor. Both of them make some really weird choices with their kind of what projects they decide to work on. And I just kind of love when people do that. Kind of like Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Where it's like both of them were like on the cusp of being huge. And they decided to just decide, well, I'm just going to I'm going to fuck off and do this film. Well, I mean, Daniel Radcliffe made enough money to not have to care about what he chose in the future, right? That, I yeah. mean, Harry Potter is he's fine. <laughs> I still, I still haven't seen Guns Akimbo. No, I still haven't. I still haven't got around to seeing um, uh, Swiss Army Man either. That's a weird one. Yeah, I got. I, I. It took me uh, to to bring the uh, the outboard motor metaphor back in. It took me a couple of attempts to get through Swiss Army Man. Yeah, because it's really weird. And if you're not in that, you have to be in a very particular state of mind to appreciate it. Um, and yeah, it took me a fair few times. When I was in the right state of mind, it was gloriously great. Yeah, it, it does look like one of those. I'm looking forward to, to eventually getting around to seeing it. So, uh, yeah. So I, I just think I, I, love a, I love a good crime thriller. The, the, the song itself is really descriptive of what's going on. Mm. Um, and there's also a lot of shared movie DNA because Nick Cave, uh, so he wrote Lawless and The Proposition, yeah. um, which are both movies, and he's also composed music for several others. And we're are you ready for our next tangent. Nick Cave also wrote the script for Gladiator 2. Yes, we've, we've discussed this before, right? We have discussed this before, but today, over lunch, I read it in its entirety. Right. <laughs> I read all 102 pages of the Gladiator 2 script, and I will now be fielding questions. <laughs> Seriously, that's why Where the Wild Roses Grow. Oh, yeah. that, that is the, yeah, that's the research done. It's going to be great. Gladiator 2. So. It opens with uh, the body of Maximus being basically ransacked by thieves, and it turns out he's in the afterlife. Yeah. But not the fields of Elysium, just like this shitty afterlife where people are just kind of hanging around a camp. Right, okay. And there's this guy called Mordecai who haunts him throughout the film, but never really explains who he is. Yeah. Who takes him to a ruined temple overlooking everything, where the gods are there, but they're like fat, disgusting, grotesque gods. So like Jupiter is really overweight and shit like that. Okay. And they tell him he has to find Hephaestus because he's walked off into the desert because he's become a Christian. Okay. So he's acknowledged there's one true god and he's fucked off into the desert to die. Turns out Maximus's dead wife um, basically like sold her soul so that their son survived. So his son's still alive, and then Maximus gets sent back to the world of the living, but is cursed that he can never go back to the, after, uh, the afterlife. Okay. He then finds, he realizes he's been sent there, or Mordecai, the ghost, yeah. tells him he's been sent there like years after he died. 
So his son's now a grown man. It's set around like Christians rebelling against Rome. Right. Um, there's a whole scene where they weirdly we were talking about this the other day as well. There's a flooded Colosseum battle in it. Oh yeah. So two ships surrounded by alligators. The main bad guy is the kid from the first one who's grown up. Okay. And there is a massive battle scene. At the end of the battle scene, Maximus uh, does his whole dirt on the hands thing and then stands up and he's suddenly wearing Templar gear and he's in a battle in the Crusades. All of this is interspersed with a stag dying. Right. So it just has him going through more and more modern battlefields until the film ends with him in the bathroom of the Pentagon in modern day where he goes in and takes a meeting with a bunch of suits. Excellent. Yeah. So it's essentially the uh, the beginning of um, Wolverine Origins. <laughs> basically, 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 yeah. Um, what? There's a scene where a giraffe gets struck by lightning. Close to the sky. I mean, I imagine that's a dangerous, you know, danger that you, you, when when you decide to become a giraffe, that's that's a risk you take on. Well, that's the, that main reason I'm not a giraffe. Um, there's also the line, um, "I think your monkey's dead," <laughs> because of because, course, obviously. Uh, was he? Was he? requested or commissioned to write this or was he just like fuck it i'm writing gladiator 2 let's see if it happens i think i think a bit of both i think okay. he was commissioned for it but i don't think he ever thought it was gonna happen yeah. but it is so fucking weird yeah you can tell you, you could also tell like so there's parts of the script where it's like uh cassian brackets surname close brackets <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff where they haven't bothered naming anything so i'm yeah. assuming it was a very early draft before it got stopped but it's i would strongly recommend reading it no 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 nick let's let's leave it there no 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 but it's definitely i could imagine it being like uh if you if you control f maximus yeah and replace it with something else i could imagine it being a nick cave uh, a nick cage film okay and i feel like nick cave writing for nick cage is what the world needs uh i do worry that that might be the the thing that just tips us over the edge Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so that that's the two things I want now. I want Taylor Swift to win an Oscar. Yeah. And I want uh, Nick Cave to rewrite Gladiator 2 and then have Cage playing a mortal Roman. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And yeah. So that's where my, obviously, when we thought of talking about songs we'd adapt into films, I knew... Part of me always knew it was going to lead me to read the entirety of Gladiator 2. Yeah. Well, you know, it happens, doesn't it? So as I mentioned, uh, horrorcore is the genre. Um, We are in the year 2000. And I'd say arguably this this is a song that took the... um... I've just realised what song you're talking about. Yeah. This is not the one of... Not not to spoil anything... (laughs) This is not the one of your choices I thought would be referred to as horrorcore. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but apparently that's the case. Um, it makes, now, now I've acknowledged it, it makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah, I get but, it, because it is, yeah. But yeah, I'd say uh, arguably this is the song that took this artist to the height of his fame, I would say. and At, it, least, at least mainstream appeal. Yeah. Um, and so the, the song is Stan, the artist is Eminem. The year is the year 2000. I, I really wished you'd kept going. <laughs> Just naming it. The genre others. is horrorcore. Yeah. <laughs> planet um, Earth. Galaxy Milky Way. So, um, yeah, as I say, I think it probably is the one that took him, like, catapulted him. So, obviously, you had My Name Is from the Slim Shady LP, which kind of put him out there, put him on the map. 
and then also on the Marshall Mathers LP you had um, the real Slim Shady which I think was also quite big but I think Stan just was the one that really kind of like you say is the mainstream attention obviously sampling Dido all of that kind of stuff it's it's just seemed to be the one that really took him uh took him quite far and I think even more so than that I mean it's had so much cultural impact that um to Stan is now even recognized in the dictionary as of 2017 when did you clock on that's what it meant um it took me a while yeah um but I think I think I looked it up I, I don't think I, I couldn't understand what people were on about and so had to Google it, I think is oh, when I... I, I had to ask my fiancé. Hey, what's a K-pop stan? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy that, that it's had that much impact, that it's kind of part of um, common, um, common parlance. And to probably, I imagine with a lot of, and maybe this is just me sounding like an old man but i imagine with a lot of like younger people that use the terminology may not even be aware of the song itself oh 100 percent. but yeah i think it's it's a really cleverly written and performed song because you obviously have the kind of going through all of the letters and then you also have the response at the end as well and to be honest the video itself is kind of somewhat of a short film it's yeah. played out really well you've got obviously the the writing of the stuff you've got all of the you know, it's in between where you you know see him going to the show and all that kind of thing but i think again like similar to boy name Sue, it's just got that really good structure in the sense that the stand verses kind of play out the majority of the film so you've got say him getting kind of increasingly frustrated taking his brother to the show waiting outside all of that kind of stuff building up to him murdering his um girlfriend and then i don't know if you want to call it a twist but you've kind of got the then you've got the final act of like or I guess even maybe even the epilogue of Eminem kind of realizing what's happened and getting to the you know getting to reply late and all of that kind of stuff and finally replying and that kind of being the ending to the movie. Also a potential for a sequel. This song does have a sequel as well on the Marshall Jesus Mathers Christ. LP okay. too. So bad guy is written from the point of view of Matthew, the younger brother of Stan, and him coming out to to, oh. to get Eminem and get his revenge. Does um, he? I've never heard that song before. No, it's good. Marshmallow's LP2 is a fantastic album. Rap Gods, which... Oh, I've heard Rap well God. Heard, I've heard Rap God. Which is just yeah. one of the most insane bits of rap. It's like 5,000 words? or It's um, a stupid amount. Yeah. Right? I don't know how anyone could conceivably rap that. But yeah, I think I think it's... Um, as I say, it's got potential for a follow-up. Then you've got... Uh, 1,560 words with an average of 4.28 words per second. Yeah, like how do you do that? How do you do 4.82 words per second? That is ridiculous. Practice. It, yeah, I suppose so. So I think there's also, you know, if we're talking about this as a movie, there's definite commercial value here. Like, obviously, 8 Mile was and it was the Eminem movie that wasn't about Eminem, but was about Eminem, but wasn't about Eminem, but was, you know, had a lot of songs attached to it. That, at the box office alone, made $243 million. That's insane. That's not taking into account album sales and everything else that came with it. So I think, you know, if we're going to pitch this, um, I think we're going to get, uh, you know, you've got a good potential ROI there. There's also an alternative ending to Stan. So there was, so this is a quote from Eminem. There was a verse where Stan got out of the water. So after he drives the... Um, oh, so the Friday the 13th ending. He, basically, yeah. <laughs> he was all moldy. Yeah. So he, he escapes and then comes to Eminem's house to kill him. Yeah. Um, Eminem had to kill him first. He missed... 
he was in the hospital for three weeks. Then he was pissed off that I didn't write him get well cards, so he came to kill me again. And in the last verse, finally, I blew his head off. I like to think um, that the it was like a half hour end of the thing where he annoyed he got a get so I came there and he beat him up and he went back to the hospital and he got annoyed that he didn't write him a get well card, so he went back to a, yeah. But yeah, and also another good thing that we can get out of this is somehow we will get an Elton John cameo because obviously. Elton John. I mean, he's he's no stranger to cinema. We've had obviously Rocket Man, which wasn't him, but obviously very closely tied to. We had him in Kingsman as well, and Elton John played the piano for the live version of um, Stan at the Grammys in two thousand and one. So I'm oh, assuming they're, they're like best friends, right? Uh, so Elton John was his sponsor when he went into rehab. Yeah. So yeah, they like have a very good working relationship. Well, I guess not even working relationship, friendship. Because, yeah, he obviously, and Elton John kind of stood up for him with allegations of like homophobic lyrics and stuff as well. So, yeah, I think given all of this, given the, given the, the structure and the narrative of the song, given the commercial value and, um, and just the ability to kind of stretch this into a feature length movie, as I said, with the potential for a sequel, I mean, it's basically, it's basically Kill Bill. Kill Stan. Yeah. Kill Stan. Kill M. Kill M. Kill M. Who? Oh, so it's same, same question. Um, mm. Who would you cast? Um. Oh, I mean, I think I've, I've, I've some ideas. I, I know who I'd cast as the rapper. Yeah, I don't know. I suppose maybe Eminem's a bit too old to. I mean, he could play himself, but he, he could. So I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it as Eminem. Yeah, I would have it as a fictional rapper. Right. And obviously, you need someone who would convincingly be able to rap something like Rap God. Yeah. Are you following me here? Davy Diggs. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would have... Um... There's got to be a younger actor, right? Stan? Or... Yeah, so I would have a Stan, Pete Davidson. Oh, shit. That's actually really good. Yeah. I still don't know if I like Pete Davidson. No, I mean, he's uh, he's an interesting character. He's obviously going through a lot. He somehow has been with all of the most beautiful women on the planet. Mm. Don't know how he's managed that. Um, it's not his personality. <laughs> well, maybe it is. Maybe, yeah. Because people, it's people, also probably not his looks. People just like shitty tattoos. Yeah. Love you, Pete. Yeah, no, I think I think he could play this, play this quite well. Apparently King of Staten Island is quite good. I know I haven't got around to watching it, but that's meant to be a fairly decent movie. This is a, this is a fun question to ask if I'm wrong. Is that the 9-11 one? Uh, oh, I'm not sure. Possibly. So I, I think I don't know anything about. I, I think it. It's his dad dies in nine eleven, and um, his mum's now dating someone else, and it's about how it's all impacting him and shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And his, obviously, his, his, his dad died in nine eleven. Yeah, which I learned after watching Jimmy uh, Carr. Um, no, it was uh, Pete Davidson on a roast for I think Justin Bieber. Yeah, yeah. Where he said famously, "My dad died in 9/11," um, and then went on to talk about Snoop Dogg. Yeah, he said uh, Snoop Dogg and someone else were in Soul Plane, which is the worst thing to happen to my life that involved a plane. Wow, <laughs> it was like nice. So, did you not hear of the? Uh, I I I've the heard Carr the Jimmy Carr one, one now, yeah. but I heard it a lot later. Okay, yeah, that was uh, that was particularly brutal. But yeah. That's who I would go for. I think I think he would be a good he'd be a good stand. Nice. So this is fun because I usually would 
you, you can tell from the tone of my voice we are podcasting now. This yeah. isn't like an interlude between parts. I might change my mind. <laughs> Just on the fly. Okay. So I I might wing this section because something you just said yeah. made me think of an even better idea than the one that I have left. Okay. Which is well, a shame. Just just um just to change your changing your mind on the fly. Um so what do you think of Jeff Goldblum's greatest movie? Uh, so I I because it is uh I, you know funnily enough I was going to bring up the director of the fly in your next section because it seemed appropriate <laughs> uh you know i it, it's definitely growing on me kind of like that weird moldy shit it's kind of growing on okay jeff goldblum first time i watched it i think maybe i was a bit too young but yeah. each time i i think it's a masterpiece you know excellent yeah so i liked that <laughs> that's got to be added to the drinking game as well isn't it? it's not <laughs> laughing at jokes just pointing out they were funny yeah uh so originally <laughs> this is fucking funny so originally I wanted to do one song. Yeah. Decide. So originally I wanted to do the entire Afterman double album by Coheed and Cambria. Right. Okay. Because the, the plot of that is written as a concept album and the whole plot is fucking insane. But the thing with Coheed and Cambria is that everything they do is so kind of, they write graphic novels. Yeah. So they're written to be stories and I don't feel like that's, quite in the spirit of writing an actual concept album to be a, be eventually developed into a comic feels a bit of a different yeah. subject yeah okay um but the plot of afterman is basically this guy discovers the afterlife yeah basically travels into it um finds out it's split between two levels mono and samaritan or something like that right um mono is full of people, people who died from mono <laughs> And people uh, just reliving disappointment and stuff like that. Right. And then the Samaritan is more happy, content place. And he's guy. He meets a number of spirits, including Domino the Destitute, who's a boxer. And the album goes through the story of all of these people. Then he manages. He gets reaches the second layer, and he gets guided out back home. Um, but when he gets home, it turns out like loads of years have passed, and everybody thinks he's dead, and his wife has started a new family. And he's obviously grief-stricken and distraught and accidentally causes an accident that kills his wife. So he returns to the afterlife to make sure that she's guided to the good level. Right. And it's like, that is a fucking insane story. Yeah. But again, I felt like it wasn't quite in keeping with it. So I thought, all right, let's go for another sci-fi thing. So I was going to go for podcast favorite David Bowie and like what I would have referred to as the Major Tom trilogy. So Space Oddity, uh, Ashes to Ashes, Black Star. You could argue Hello Space Boy as well. The Black Star album's fucking... Sorry, the Black Star's music video. Mm. Uh, speaking of 10-minute long songs, great videos. <laughs> fucking batshit mental. So it was going to be the Major Tom thing. Going to cast Keanu Reeves. We were going to go British. I was going to go Chiwetel Ledger before. But off the back of uh, your choice there... Uh, I'm now going to do Sheila Booth Live by Rob Cantor. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a horror movie starring Sheila Booth as himself. Yeah. Uh, you know, actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf uh, hunting down somebody in the woods and then fighting to the death. Excellent. Um, I think it's a pretty self-explanatory choice there. It's one of my favorite songs and it also is my most used gift. 
the clapping. The clapping is 100% my... It was my uh, Facebook cover photo for a very long time as well. Nice. But it is 100% my most used GIF on basically anything. It's, it's, it's a strong GIF. It is a strong GIF. I love that song. It's a str- it's a it's just it's it is a masterpiece of lyricism. I mean, I know we've had we've had Taylor Swift, who's renowned as being an uh, incredible storyteller songwriter. We've had Eminem, who's an incredible lyricist, and now we have this uh, <laughs> such such amazing lyrics as. Uh, what is your favorite lyric from it? Like, can, can you think of any? Um, Waiting uh, isn't dead. Shy of surprise. Yeah, there's that, and there's it's just the way it goes through. It's like ah caught in a bear trap and like yeah. it just the just the way that some of it goes and then uh, quiet, also quiet the bit where he's like he's gaining on you he's on all fours <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're walking in the woods there's no one around and your phone is dead out of the corner of your eyes you spot him Shia LaBeouf. he's following you about 30 feet back he gets down <laughs> on all fours and breaks into a sprint there you go he's gaining on you Shia did you ever see there was a recent say recent maybe like two months ago there was someone released cctv footage of a person running around on all fours and it was one of the most like disconcerting things no i have seen the video of the girl who likes to run around like a horse oh yeah i've seen that as well yeah that's weird that is very strange but this is like uh late night like running past like gas stations and stuff in america but like at full like sprinting on all fours yeah. basically it is weird it's animalistic oh 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 uh Check out the episode notes. <laughs> uh, Body Slam Superstar Shia LaBeouf, I think, is up there for me as well. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm not going to lie. At the end of this podcast, after the, after the, the music at the end, yeah. there is going to be a dramatic reading of Shia LaBeouf. Excellent. Live. I'm fairly sure I could do it without looking at the, the lyrics. I just, I, again, you know me. I like myself a meta film. Yeah. So this would be kind of up there with, like, My Name is Bruce uh, and this, our soon-to-be favourite film. The unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes, which did you see? Uh, if you go to the yeah. Nicholas Cage all nighter that we're not going to because we can't do the same movies bar one again because that would be insane. Um, they're showing a clip from it. Do you think you could go? You would have gone again if it was five different movies. If it was five different movies, potentially, yeah. What about four? Depends what the same one is. <laughs> okay, which what what ratio could you do it again? Do you think it would? I would say at least. I'd say. Was it five in total? I'd say you'd have no. It'd have to be four different ones and one of the yeah. same one. So I could do like four new ones and Mandy again. Yeah, I would. <laughs> Mandy's the name of a film. <laughs> um, I would say Face Off. Yeah, because it was the third film. Yeah. So I feel like that that was when I started to go. Yeah. So that that was when I had energy drink was during Face Off. So I felt like maybe because one I would happily watch it again because it's a fucking hilarious film. Yeah. But also I could fall asleep during it and still get the rest of the night yeah i think i would go um i would put mandy at the beginning rather than the end so i could watch it without being delusional delusional yeah uh and also uh, check out uh the caged in podcast where me graham and friend of the podcast daryl talk to friend of the podcast petros about the nicholas cage marathon uh but yeah so this this shia labeouf the movie is going to be called shia labeouf live live yeah uh and it only works if it is Shia LaBeouf playing himself. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he is also, he would 100% do it. He'd be up for it. He would 100% do the film. Yeah. He wouldn't be an actual cannibal hunting someone in the woods. The question is, who is he going to be hunting in the woods? Who would you cast as the, the person fighting him? Oh, um, 
I would say I'm going to stick with SNL. I'm going to go Kate McKinnon. Interesting. Very, very interesting. I was trying to think of uh, people who've been in prominent horror movies. So I'm... I'm John Krasinski. Interesting. (laughs) I'd rather go Emily Blunt. Yeah, but obviously John Krasinski would keep wanting to burst into song. Oh, yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, Daniel Kaluuya? Kaluuya? Yeah. Um, Or one of the... uh, And this sounds offensive, but take it with the love it's intended. One of the many not Margot Robbies. Yeah, okay. Um, Sam Weaving. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was who I was thinking of specifically. But there's a couple who are all really good but it always feels like they wanted Margot Robbie and couldn't get her. Yeah, so I'm going to say Samara Weaving yeah. and Shia LaBeouf. It would be the meta horror film I just feel like we really need now um, and will lead to one of the best cinematic fights ever. But blood is draining fast from your stump leg. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me, I love this song. That is brilliant. Uh, also, one of the weird ones that pops up on our shared playlist. Yeah, it's, it's on there. Not quite as disarming as some of the others, but... Um, well, no, because it's a stump leg. Very good. Did Thank it again there. Yep. <laughs> <Didn't know. laughs> it's like, you know, it's the episode of um, Scrubs where JD has to uh, break up with a girl because she doesn't laugh. She just says, that's so funny. Mandy I think Moore. it's Mandy Moore, yeah. Mandy Moore, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, I do remember that. Mandy Moore or less. And... Uh... And on that note, yes, and I know what we're ending on, and I'm excited. <laughs> uh, the real, arguably, I would say, the real. Well, it's more body horror core, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So we're going with. So my original choice here was going to be uh, Skibbity by Little Big, which <laughs> I do stand by because I just like the idea of trying to unpick what Skibbity is. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, all right, I need you to be honest with me yeah. now, Graham. Could you not do that? Could I not do it? Could you, could, could you not unpick Skibbity to make it make sense? Oh, no. I went to start writing the lyrics and I was like, oh, do you know what else I discovered at the same time as Skibbity? My next, the choice that I went with was like, well, that has to be the pick because it's just fantastic. It, Skibbity, obviously, there's, you know, some kind of like, it's, it's probably like zombie movie adjacent and rather than becoming zombies, you just go around doing that dance all the time. Yeah. And Skibbity is the, the source of the dance. Or something. <laughs> anyway, I was going to go down that. However, I've picked a song that is in French, so we're going to have a nice French, uh, French noir. As we've got a f- foreign language film here. Love, lovely bit of foreign language. It is the I, we've spoken about in the podcast before. The song is Voicicle, and it is by someone called Salvatore Naki. I believe is how you pronounce it. Came out in twenty twenty. I can't. I can't stress enough. Stop listening. To, if if you're able to, yeah. Stop listening to the podcast now. Watch the music video. It's like three and a half minutes, and then come back. Yeah, because it is outstandingly bizarre. People either love it or get annoyed at me that I showed it to them again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's fantastic. So obviously, it being in French, um, I just wanted to make sure that the lyrics kind of tied in with the video because i didn't want to just base the movie off of the video for the song that would that would be insane ian um so i did a translation so google translate helped me out and i'm just gonna read you through of the lyric of the lyrics oh. um man half motorbike mid man motorcycle 
Quasimodo genre. My back is a saddle, my eyes form the headlights, headlights of sobs, <laughs> mid-man motorcycle. Contoured like a flulo duca, I fly to you, away from the clouds that come out of my pot, mid-man motorcycle. Um, you're, you're kidding. No. <laughs> I, I assumed the music video had nothing to do with the song. No, it's all about, it's, I will light up like this, the turbo lights, and we're already flying away, away from the clouds. shibba dibba 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 <laughs> Yeah. Headlights of sobs, I think, is probably the the most um, the most poignant lyric here. Wow! She puts on the eraser. She rolls to the beat. A wild river, a fuselage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is insane. So the narrative of the video that we're taking into a full feature length movie um, is that um, you have the boycicle. He turns up. He's under a load of like, uh, I guess, garbage in a scrap heap somewhere. He essentially gets adopted by this old man who is his, becomes his father figure, who kind of cleans him up. There's a, there's a weird thing where he, he rubs his headlights, which is basically where his crotch would be. Um, where he, would his crotch be? I'm guessing there. I mean, they insinuate that it's there because there's the awkward kind of like eye contact yeah. whilst he's doing it. Yeah, so you have all of that. And then you have the kind of... He's kind of looking out the window, he's understanding like what love is and he feels like I guess he's quite suffocated being inside this house with this new father figure and he wants to get out and they have a falling out and disagreement. He uh, it ends with the fantastic line of um, Do you wanna do you wanna act it? Yes, go on then. Okay, I will be the I'll be the father. Okay, so Who's I'm who who are you gonna cast as the father? Just so I kind of know what mindset I'm in. Oh, um Brian Blessed. Brian Blessed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's amazing. <laughs> so, uh, Boycicle is leaving the house. Father's coming towards him. You're just a Boycicle! <laughs> no father. I am Mansicle. <laughs> and then rides off into the sunset um, in search of a mermaid. Um, a mermaid that it turns out is a woman who is part woman, part jet ski. So you have the whole love story part there. And also in between, there's the struggle of him trying to find her. He ends up getting beaten up. He ends up then fighting back and, yeah, eventually finds his love on the docks. It's, I mean, it's a lot to, it's a lot to unpick. I'm, I, I want to, I want to see all of that drawn out. So, like, you've got, obviously, a bit more of the tense relationship, which I think in a kind of, like, gritty French noir movie would be quite, quite uh well quite fun to explore and then also like the extending out the journey to find his um mermaid jet ski woman yeah but not only that i want to see before and after so i want to know how he ended up on the scrap pile i wanted to know what he's like as a baby cycle i who are his parents (laughs) so you want a pre-cycle i want a pre-cycle i want to know what was happening how did he get there and how did he end up getting adopted and then also, how does a love between a half man, half motorcycle, half woman, half jet ski flourish and happen? Where do they go? How do they get together? Is she coming on land? Is he going in the water? Is it one of those things that just can never work because they're from different worlds? What is her backstory? So many questions. I, I just think it would be uh, phenomenal. It is the weirdest, one of the weirdest music videos I've ever seen. Who I was going to say who would you cast, but I think we've already mentioned who it would be. Who would that be? Daniel Radcliffe. 
Yeah, to be fair, that's not a bad D- shout. Daniel at all. Radcliffe is one of very few actors I could see accepting the role as a half boy, half motorcycle. Yeah, I, I would I would say you're probably right there. I think the only other person that I that came to mind, and this is only because he looks like the guy who is in it in the mu- music video, is uh, the guy who played Sawyer and Lost. Oh fuck! Yeah, <laughs> that's his actual name. Yeah, yeah. So, Sawyer, Sawyer from, from Lost. Lost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> but just as I say, just because they look similar. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're right. Daniel Radcliffe has to play has to play that, and maybe we just get um, Hermione uh, in for. Hermione, that's not her name. Emma Watson into uh you know we'll get the gang back together and she could be the jet ski mermaid. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So uh, Emma Emma Watson as Girlski? 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 <laughs> and then Boycicle. Boycicle. And then obviously Brian Blessed as the dad. Sold. Yeah. I, I'm I am all in. Excellent. Which is a weird thing to say about Boycicle. I again I, I don't think we could ever stress enough how weird that is if you could be half vehicle what would it be tank a boy tank yeah interesting i think i would want to be a boy bucket wheel excavator okay why because they're big okay they look kind of scary yeah just be fun i could also i've got a gun though true i could excavate quickly i thought you were gonna say i could excavate you and that's a weird thing to say (laughs) (laughs) yeah with my bucket wheel (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm fairly sure in Ghost Rider 2 Ghost Rider possesses a bucket wheel excavator wouldn't surprise me yeah that's a sentence I've now said I'd probably you know what, re- realistically boy zeppelin yeah maybe like but the thing with the boy zeppelin is I could see it being less like a centaur setup and more like a budgie the helicopter Thomas the tank engine I'm kind of thing I'm thinking tank engine I think away, it would yeah. just be my massive face on the yeah. front of a zeppelin yeah and then, obviously, once you crashed into some power lines and burnt down, you'd have Ringo Starr saying, I think Ian deserved that, children, don't you? The horror. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that, that's our choices. Yeah. Uh, out, of, out of your three, what's the top three of your three? Top three of my three, I would say in first place, I'm going to go Stan. Second place... Boy Named Sue in third place, whilst it would be amazing, um, voice are called just because I think we probably wouldn't sell as many tickets. Uh, I mean, uh, we realistically, we should have gone for Boycicle Named Sue. Oh, shit, yeah, we should have. A Boycicle Named Sue. Is, is, that is, yeah. That's too good. To stop you, because uh, I knew I wasn't going to be around, I named you Sue and gave you the lower half of a motorcycle. <laughs> that's, that's the prequel. That is the prequel. So A Boy Named Sue is the prequel to Bicycle. Yeah. And then he becomes an obsessive fan of Davy Diggs. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So mine, I'm... Uh... I was certain I knew what my top three was going to be, and then I... Uh... And you changed to use, it. To use wanky uh, business parlance, pivoted. <laughs> uh, so number three. Yeah. I think I'm going to go Where the Wild Roses Grow. Because... I like myself a crime thriller, but it is the less. It's the le- we would have to add more to the song, otherwise it's just a film of a woman being murdered. Yeah, okay. And that's not. That's not enough for me. Like a Black Mirror episode, maybe yeah. like could follow a similar plot to that, but not an actual feature length film. You need to add. You need the detective character in it to make it 
Well, the Black Mirror right. episode would just end with it starting again, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Black Mirror episode, the twist would be it's a song. Yeah. So you would zo- it'd start again, and then you'd zoom out, and there'd be in like one of those old school like HMV where you used to be able to listen to the record. Oh, and and you had the CDs and the thing yeah, and they span around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so number two. Oh, I don't know. So the, the the last two are fully padded out stories in their own right. Yeah. Uh, internet's gonna like not gonna like it. Number two, I'm gonna do it all too well. <laughs> brackets, ten minute version. Close brackets. Brackets. Taylor's version. Close brackets. Yeah. I think it would be a really it would be a really good film because I do like those. You don't really you, you had a lot of them over lockdown because it was a lot easier to work with just two or three people. Like an actual look at the dynamics in a relationship and between people. I always find those films fascinating when they're done well. When they're done badly, they're unwatchable. But weirdly, the best example of that I watched recently was... Have you watched The Cleaner? No, that's the... um, The Greg Davis. Greg Davis thing. No, I've seen bits... I think I've seen bits of it when you were watching it, but I've not seen it all the way through. Yeah, it's really... It shows what you can do with just two people in front of the camera for the the length of it. And number one, uh, Sheila Booth Live Live. I... Didn't realise before, thinking about it literally 15 minutes ago. Yeah. But I've never wanted anything more in my entire life. No, I think it's... Than to uh, see an actual feature-length version of Shia LaBeouf Live. It would be, it would be fantastic, wouldn't it? It would be insane. And I, I think the world would be a better place for it. Yeah. If, if you couldn't do... I was trying to think of like who else you would... So if Shia LaBeouf turns around and says, look, I've done that joke already, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Who would you have playing themselves? Oh, um, there's literally no one else. It has to be Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, you could go down the Nicolas Cage route, but he's he's obviously doing um, under a wet mass of talent. So you're walking in the woods. There's no one around. Your phone is dead. At the corner of your eye, you spot him, Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> maybe, um, and maybe this is just on. Maybe this is just based on him in Split, but could you do James McAvoy? He's following you, about 30 feet back. He gets down on all fours and breaks into a sprint. He's gaining on you. James McAvoy! Or just go back to um, back to the Stam one and we also just go Pete Davidson as well. That, that would work. Petey surprise! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, basically we, we, we could make this work, but I, I think it does have to be, be good old Shia. I think Shia. He's a weird man, isn't he? Well, very odd. Um, okay, so what what are you saying is the combined? So what, what as as the podcast nobody asked for? Obviously, the entire point of this yeah is to come up with our top three. Yeah, what are you what what do you think it's going to be? I feel like the main argument is going to be between two, because obviously, Sheila Booth Live is in the top three. Yeah, I would agree with that. Sheila Booth Live, I would say Sheila Booth Live. Uh, boy named Sue and Stan are my three. Um, in that order? In that order, um, I'd say probably. No, I'd probably say Sheila Booth Live, then Stan, then Boy named Sue. Yeah. So I would, I would go. I, I, I would have Shia LaBeouf. I would have Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> well, I'll be in the film then. Okay. If I would, if I would have Shia LaBeouf, yeah, Shia LaBeouf is hunting me in the woods. Excellent. I It'll mean, be I'm, my I'm, cinematic debut. I definitely want to see that. Well, we we'll go straight from. Uh, well, you just you just did up the garden. Yeah, this is true. So we can, we'll. we'll uh, we, is this there's something out there? 
I think that's that's Hollywood superstar Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> um, so I, I would go Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. I would go All Too Well, and I would then probably go Boy Named Sue over Stan, just because I think Boy Named Sue comes across a lot more cinematic than I like the story. The story of Stan is better than the story of a Boy Named Sue, but I don't. I can't envision Stan as a movie. I think there's enough there, and as I say, you've got the the sequel, or you could even pad it out and have bad guy as like the the t- second act yeah oh yeah true i'll need to listen to that yeah i literally had no idea that existed <laughs> really good song i'll have to give it a go <laughs> um so okay so all right I, I, i'll go stan I will, yeah. I, will, I will accept stan into my life i wonder if i wonder if we'll ever get podcasts nobody asked for stans oh there's there must be a couple out there. Be nice. there's a few people that like us <laughs> hi dad <laughs> uh, so, hi mom if you're still awake uh, so it turns out my mum told me she does listen to the podcast but to fall asleep too which is oh, nice. such so she, a, a ringing endorsement so she didn't find out what you bought her I'm guessing not she never <laughs> said she, was, she must have been fast asleep by that point nice so it is as it always does comes down to a boy named Sue yeah or all too well brackets 10 minute version brackets Taylor's version yeah what are your closing arguments um, I'm, I'm not okay with uh, I mean we don't know if the scarf exists and it's a metaphor. It's but it exists. Um, and it's it's half a it's half a story. Whereas boy named Sue, we have the we have Sue's side, and we also have the song that has uh, the dad's side as well. So I think we can get a well-rounded uh, view on the entirety of the uh, of the the story and what happened and how it all played out. Um, and Johnny Cash is better than Taylor Swift. God, that's an argument that's going to. Uh... Some people are going to get very passionate about that statement. Come at me, people. I, uh, <laughs> I, I like, I like them both. I think they are both very good songwriters and singers in their own right. Johnny Cash never stole a scarf, though. So you know, good for him. <laughs> he stole a lot of things. He just covered a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't there a story of him? Or there's a photo of him stoned off his tits, eating cake in a bush. I don't know, but that sounds amazing. But no, I, I, I do, I do think, I, I, I think both would be very good. But I, 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 I think it might just be I'm recency bias, yeah. Which is weird to say about a song that was originally released in like 2012, but the 10 minute version is very, very good, and I can also clearly see it as a story. But I think also part of that might be because there's been a short film based on it. I still prefer all too well. Yeah. I know. I, I, I get. I get the argument that you don't know the other side of the story. Yeah, but it's a story from her point of view, so it doesn't matter. She's never publicly called him out or anything like that. Yeah, there's just a lot of buzz around it, and she never also she never calls him out too much, apart from the whole "you've kept dating twenty year olds," which is factually true. <laughs> yeah. How about if we upgrade it to a boy cycle named Sue? Uh, you know how to speak my language. <laughs> so, all right, sold. <laughs> That's all I needed. That's uh, that's a card you can only play once. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't want in everything now for you to go. What if we have it with a bicycle? <laughs> uh, we'll go back to the uh, movie races episode. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. But what, what, what if they were all bicycles? <laughs> it's it's like the thing, but with bicycles. Sold. Can a can the thing become a bicycle? Uh, yeah, because I mean, it's, it's, there is an element of um, uh, organic matter in a bicycle. 
Oh, that's, that is true. Yeah. It's it'll be interesting. Would you would a bicycle need to be MOT'd? Um as long yeah, well once it's three years old. Don't need for the first three years you don't need an MOT. Okay. And Probably yearly <laughs> service. I'm just gonna keep asking you as many bicycle questions as <laughs> I And like to you know you've got like dog years. Yeah. Are there bicycle years? Um yeah. Yeah. Uh it's uh three point five two bicycle years to a year. Okay. So you're you're ex- expect it, and the tragic thing about the bicycle story is that actually there's um there's only uh it's five point three two uh jet Gelski years to a human yep. year. So he's gonna live a lot longer. He's gonna be heartbroken when she uh, goes to that great jet ski heap in the pie pie in the sky. <laughs> great jet ski heap in the pie in the pie. Nice. Uh, all right. That's that's a thing we have now said. Um, <laughs> I would watch a bicycle race. Yeah, yeah. But also, I would watch like. Can you imagine the Grand National with centaurs? Absolutely, it'd be fucking amazing. Yep. Would you still shoot them if they fall over? That's what I say. A hedge. I mean, ju- just just for everyone, I've never shot a horse. <laughs> <laughs> the, the way you phrase it was like, will will, will you still shoot them? Well, never, yeah. never shot a horse, Ian. Um, I don't intend to. Um, would I think that you should? Um, I don't know. Probably. Well, actually, to be fair, even humans, um, given the way that the new NHS bill that's being voted on tomorrow is going to go, will probably all need to be shot if we get get a cold soon. So, um, yeah, probably. So probably, yes. Probably. <laughs> okay, so the podcast nobody asked for is top three songs we would adapt into films. Coming in at number three is A Bicycle Named Sue. Number two is Stan, and number one is Shia LaBeouf Live, which is obviously the way we thought that was going to go, given I only picked that choice while we were recording. I can't wait for the Photoshop of Bicycle Named Sue. I'm just (laughs) going to put it out there. So if you agree with our choices, if there are any other songs that you think we should, or we should, there are any other songs that you think should be adapted into films, uh, you can find us on Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for, and you can also become a friend of the podcast over at Patreon at the podcast nobody asked for, where uh, you can, you know, there's mugs, there's t-shirts, there's us photoshopping Bowie into whatever your favourite film is, because we care about you guys, and it yep. also will help us keep this going for as long as you guys can stomach it. <laughs> For as long as you both shall live. <laughs> um, yes, uh, if you have any mammals that you want to mash up with vehicles that we didn't cover on today's episode, give us some ideas at uh, nobody asked for pod with a number four on Twitter. Also do the same on Facebook. Um, and you can find all podcasts nobody asked for goodness at www.com the podcast nobody asked for .co.uk and remember to leave us uh, reviews on Podchaser and Apple Podcast and in your review put any future episode ideas you have and we do will... it guys do it yeah and do we'll, it. Do, we'll do the best ones uh, so uh, yeah I'm gonna go and watch the uh, just Bicycle and Shia LaBeouf live back to back for a while and when you watch it picture Brian Blessed that's generally what I do when I watch anything especially pornography Gordon's alive! (laughs) Ugh, no one asked for this!
You're walking in the woods. There's no one around, and your phone is dead. Out of the corner of the eye, you spot him. Shia the Buck. He's following you. About 30 feet back, he gets down on all fours and breaks into a sprint. He's gaining on you. Shia the Buck. You're looking for your car, but you're all turned around. He's almost upon you now, and you can see there's blood on his face. My god, there's blood everywhere! Running for your life from Shia LaBeouf. He's brandishing a knife. It's Shia LaBeouf. Lurking in the shadows. Hollywood superstar Shia LaBeouf. Living in the woods, Shia LaBeouf. Killing for sport, Shia LaBeouf. Eating all the bodies. Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Now it's dark. You seem to have lost him. You hopelessly lost yourself. Stranded with a murderer, you creep silently through the underbrush. Aha! In the distance, a small cottage with a light on. Hope! You move stealthily towards it, but your leg! Ah! It's caught in a bear trap, gnawing off your leg. Quiet, quiet. Limping to the cottage. Quiet, quiet. Now you're on the doorstep. Sitting inside, Shia LaBeouf. Sharpening an axe, Shia LaBeouf. But he doesn't hear you enter, Shia LaBeouf. You're sneaking up behind him. Strangling superstar Shia LaBeouf. Fighting for your life with Shia LaBeouf. Wrestling a knife from Shia LaBeouf. Stab him in his kidney. Safe at last, Shia LaBeouf. You limp into the dark woods. Blood oozing from your stump leg. You've beaten Shia LaBeouf. Wait! He isn't dead! Shia surprise! There's a gun to your head and death in his eyes, but you can do jujitsu. Body slam superstar Shia LaBeouf. Legendary fight with Shia LaBeouf. Normal Tuesday night for Shia LaBeouf. You try to swing an axe at Shia LaBeouf, but blood is draining fast from your stump leg. He's dodging every swipe. He parries to the left. You counter to the right. You catch him in the neck. You're chopping his head now. You have just decapitated Shia LaBeouf. His head topples to the floor, expressionless. You fall to your knees and catch your breath. You're finally safe from Shia LaBeouf. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> me, that's weird.